Savior of my soul is Jesus Christ alone. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. I have a second chance at life. My future's open wide, I know that Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. I have a second chance at life. My future's open wide, I know. Christ lives in me, He lives in me. Christ lives in me. You guys have a seat. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. You as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all, Jesus, Lamb of God. Worthy is Your name, Jesus. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, Of God. 
Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the service. I just pray that your hand would be on the message today as Derek teaches us. And that our hearts would be open to that. In your name, amen. Children, you can be dismissed. Please turn in your Bibles to John 4, 21 through 24. I will be reading out of the New International Version. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the new kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Good morning. Thank you, Scott, for that. Uh, that was really exciting to see. Love having, having you guys come and share. We can see what the Lord is doing. Well, how are you guys doing this week? Hope everyone's doing good. Let's see a few faces. Ted, it's good to see you. Glad you're on your feet. Enough to get here, so that's good. Not right now. Keep sitting down. But uh, yeah, good to see you. Many other familiar faces. Um, if you guys were here last week, we dove into a topic that is, um, well, I don't know if it's as heavy for you guys as it is for me, but this has been something that God's been kind of hard on me for about two months now, at least. I, it's probably actually been longer than that, um, and it's just been kind of reaching its culmination as uh, this series came up. So uh, he's been hard on me, and I don't know if he has been on you. But we've been looking at this topic of the wellspring of worship, and that's what we looked at last week. <clears throat> what is at the root? What's at the core of worship? When we talk about worshiping the Lord, what are we really talking about? And last week, as we peeled off layers and we got deep enough, we saw that really at the core of worship, it comes down to delighting in Him, truly finding Him to be our sole source of satisfaction, that God has said, I am there to, to fill you with the fullness of who I am. And he has, he has asked us, invited us, and created us to be filled with that fullness. So we saw that. We saw the psalmist, as we go throughout the psalms, um, pleading and urging with us, taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34. Come, taste, see that he is good. They're not saying this because they're supposed to say it. They're saying it because they have tasted. They have experienced him and they have seen that he is good, and they want you to do the same. We, um, we looked at this 
quote last week from um, C.S. Lewis. I don't know if it's big enough for you guys to see, but this was kind of a tipping point in C.S. Lewis's life um, where he was an atheist, very antagonistic against God, <clears throat> and um, really running from him. But one of the things he struggled most with was the fact that how can a God demand praise? Isn't that just make him a big megalomaniac, an egotistical, arrogant um, deity? I could never praise something like that. But um, he, he came to the point where he realized praise is really something we do. It's, it's everywhere. Praise is all around us. We praise things everywhere around us, everywhere we look. And uh, he said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not, not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So the, this whole this aspect of praise comes down to the fact that praise is, is the end point. Um, a lot of times when we come before God, we come before him uh, anticipating that we will come into a worship service or a worship song or an experience or maybe a sermon that gets you in the worship mood or the worship zone, as it were, and then this experience hopefully follows. And that is not what we see in Scripture. We see instead that praise comes as a result of experiencing God, that it's the final outflow, and it, it follows more of this kind of pattern, which is, sorry for the crude diagram, I was kind of making this last minute, but it starts kind of this, you read the word, you see and savor in God, and then it explodes in worship. So it is the consummation of joy. And it is when God tells us to worship him, he is in, implying that we go through all of that, that enjoyment of him ahead of time. He's saying, I want you to enjoy me to the fullness of something that results in praise. This is radical because it flips things entirely upside down. And, it, and that's why I think it's been so, so much of a... a paradigm shift in my own mind as I've thought about the fact that, um, you know, it's not always a feeling. It's not always that. You know, it's something that comes as a result of seeing and knowing God. It's changed how I look at scriptures. But um, we're going to look at this today again, and because it's kind of a heavy topic, we're going to kind of layer back over top, go over it again, but we're kind of, as I see it, it's more of the other side of the coin. We're going to look at more of what it means to live a life of worship. As much as we talked last week about um, worship not just being song, typically, still, it's hard to get out of our head that worship is mostly something we sing or something we say, lip service. So it is a life. It is a lifestyle. Worship is something that you live out, and we're going to look at what that looks like. At this point, if you're like me, the question's probably um, there that, of, you know, how do I how do I do this seeing and savoring of God? How do I experience him in this way? If that's really what it comes down to, I need to get into this being able to see and savor God, how do we do that? And I hope we can look at that today. Um, but I should warn you, I think some of this, some of this stuff is going to hurt a little bit. Um, it, it is a little bit, well, I can't, don't breathe down. I, uh, as I looked at some of these scriptures, it was, I, I didn't really want to put him in the message. <laughs> okay, I'm going to learn. <clears throat> I'm going to laugh, laugh out, don't laugh down. All right, so living a lifestyle of worship. 
Last week we talked about worship being this, um, this thing that looks like that. I think living a life of worship at the start, it's really actually quite simple. Living your life of worship follows this exact same pattern. And um, I think this is where, if we don't really realize this, this is where Christianity can go really right or can go really wrong. And the scary thing is they can look very similar. You can even trick yourself into it. I have for many years. Um, And I fall into it all the time. The difference being, if you go and you look at the commands of God, you look at the word of God, this is what I should do, this is what I should do, 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 do. These are all the things I should do. And if I do them, then I will have an experience with God. Then God will come to me. Then God will see that I'm trying. Then, Then God will honor my desire and I will have a worship experience. It's really no different. We, we get the cart ahead of the horse because we think that somehow, even though we know better, we think we can earn that relationship with God. And we fall into that trap. Instead, flip it around. Just like we did with your lip service worship. Look at it the other way around. You look at the God of the Bible. You experience the fullness of him that he wants to pour into you. And that fullness results in a lifestyle of worship. As you see him, as you observe him, as you, as you see how wonderful and, and how good he is, you look at the laws and the commands he gives and you go, sure, I trust you, I'll do it. And your life begins to change. But it, has to, it sounds maybe like splitting hairs, but there's a world of difference. And friends, I would say it's the world of difference between legalism, a pharisaical kind of Christianity, and a true Christianity, one that your heart has been changed. Turn over to Psalms chapter 1 as we start here today. Very familiar psalm. We'll probably come back to it a little bit more today, and I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to cover. I have one more week so that I can spill over into that one, but um, I hope that I can get through this because there's some stuff I want to cover next week that I'm pretty excited about if we can lay some good foundation here. But in Psalms 1, first psalm of the, of the psalms, um, it's very direct. You see that a man right here who is blessed for something. It is, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? Louder. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay. And you see Psalms 48, you don't have to turn there. Psalms 40, verse 8, I'm sorry. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible with 176 verses. It's all about the law of God. It's all about, I delight in your precepts. I delight in your commands. I rejoice to do them. It's all about that. So what does this mean to love the law of the Lord? I thought we were supposed to love God. What's the difference here? It can be a little bit confusing, but really it's actually, I think, it can be answered quite simply. You can't love God without loving the law he gave, right? He said it, he spoke it. You love the law because God said it. Think of a single relationship where it would work for you to say, I love you, but I don't love the things you say. (laughs) Or I don't love your opinions. Just don't talk, I just love you. Like, that doesn't work. It never works, of course. We know that. So how can we come to God like that 
in any ways. That's not love. You love what you get out of the relationship. You don't really love the person. With God, it's that simple. You love the law because he spoke it. If you really love him, you're going to love what he says. You're going to take it. You're not going to take everything he says and say, well, thank you for your opinion. I'm going to take that into consideration with all my great wisdom and see if it lines up. No. You also come at it with a, a severity of, you're God. And so, if you say it, it must be true. You love the Lord. You love the law. They are, they are one and the same. When you love the law, when you love the word, you live by it. When you are a man or woman who delights in the law of the Lord, you want to read it. You want to hear his words. You want to hide them in your heart. Why? Because it helps you in this middle little area here where you're seeing and savoring God. You're learning about his character. You're learning about how he does things. And sometimes you read things that you go, wow, I wouldn't have seen him doing that. But it teaches you something about him. You might stew on that for a couple months, maybe even years of, why did God act in that way? And one day it will become clear. You'll see, wow, there's something more to his character I never understood. And your life will result in praise and worship. The thing I want you to see, though, that is most important about this is um, in our life of worship, in following the law of God, in loving and obeying the law of God, the word of God, it's not just something we do. It's not putting that at the front. It's something that you trust God and you obey what he says because you love him. It comes from that. Okay? Now, as we read through the word, you come across a lot of things that we kind of skipped over last week in one sense. I'm sorry, I'm getting over a cold still, so I get really thirsty real fast. Um, <clears throat> When we read the word, we can't help but come across these commands to worship. They're all throughout the scriptures. They're all throughout the Psalms. You have very direct commands. Now, last week, we looked at the fact that um, w this aspect of God commanding us to worship, and we said, doesn't that kill it? Doesn't that, I mean, if, if you're told you must worship me, and you come and you obey, doesn't that kind of kill the whole heart attitude thing of it? And we looked at that last week, and that was one of the layers we peeled back. Well, the reason we peeled it back was if that is the only reason you're coming to worship, then yeah, it will kill it. You're not doing it from your heart. You're doing it just out of obedience, and you'll turn into a Pharisee as well. We can't do that as the primary reason, but we can't ignore the commands either. So why are they there? Why does God command us to worship? Let's look at some of the commands that we see. We're just going to pick a few of these, and some of these we looked at last week. Psalm 96. <clears throat> Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalms 107. Exalt the Lord. Worship at his footstool. Praise his great and awesome name. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come singing, enter his gates with thanksgiving, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those that seek the Lord rejoice, Psalms 105. And as you guys know, you don't have to go very far throughout the Psalms or the scriptures to see the commands are everywhere. What's interesting too about these commands, if you look at them again, kind of fresh, you'll see a lot of them have to do specifically with our joy or have to do at least with an emotional state. 
And you see, give thanks. That comes from a, a thankful heart. Make a joyful noise, gladness, thanksgiving. If you read through Psalms 100, it's all about these emotional states. So not only is God commanding that we worship him, he's taking it further and he's actually commanding our emotions. Why is that? I think it's because God is looking for more than just lip service. He's looking for our hearts. He wants to go deeper. He wants our hearts to actually want him. Remember that megalomaniac God that we talked about last week? Think about it. If he was just needing praise, he'd just command all men to just praise me. I can care less whether you want to or not. Just do it. And he can make all mankind <clears throat> praise God, praise God. And like a big praise monster, you just gobble it up and feed me. It's not who God is. He doesn't want a bunch of Pharisees just saying it. He wants our hearts. And you can't desire the heart of the worshiper unless you're actually interested in their own good. He wants our hearts to experience him and that to result in worship. If last week you were misled into thinking, and this is where it gets a little touchy, I'm going to warn you, God's going to meddle with our hearts a little bit. This is where... I've been meddled with quite a bit. If you've been thinking this, this idea of not just finding fullness and satisfaction in God, actually seeing him as the highest treasure in the universe, that kind of treasuring, that there's nothing that compares with him. If you've come to feel that that is a kind of A-plus version of Christianity, like a preferred, like, yeah, some Christians really get there. I'm striving for it. Give me some grace. There's grace, right? Lots of grace. Be careful. Be really careful. There really isn't a section, second option about this. God doesn't give two options. And this is, again, this is where it gets a little touchy. For God, it is as literal as delight in me or perish. And right now your feathers start ruffling because I use the perish word. Delight in me or perish. And right then you go, wait, hold on. Is God threatening me? Whoa. Is he actually saying, you need to worship me or else? Yes, he is. And no. You need to look at, first off, the fact God, he's not like you. He's not a human. He is higher than us. He's different. He's not your peer. So keep that in mind. But I do think, in his grace, he gives us a little bit more than just that. You have to look at this more that if, if there really was a being named God who could see that there is no other thing in all the universe that could satisfy you like he can satisfy you that he invented this thing we call joy, he invented good, he is the source of everything that's good, everything that is actually truly good is from him. If he is the source of that, and he knows, whether you know it or not, he knows that he is all good for you, then would you really want him to say anything else? And apart from him, is, can you really call it anything less than perishing? It's withering away. Is it a threat? I see it more like a God who knows better, who's, who's pleading and saying, I'm telling you a fact. 
if you don't delight in me, you will be perishing. And friends, you know that that can be for this life alone or it can carry into eternity. If you never receive the love of Christ in your heart, then by the time you die, you're sealed for eternity in a state where the option for God's goodness is no longer made available to you. Call it hell. It's not fun. It's an understatement. But I, I, I want to be very serious about this. God, God is, is, is pleading with us. He's saying the fullness of joy is being offered to you. It's, it's right there in front of you. And for a moment, I, I don't want you to think about, well, I'm saved. I don't need to hear this. Forget all that for a second. If you do not delight in the Lord, you will wither away. We will all wither away and perish. Why? Because we're drinking from poison wells. We're drinking from things that God never wanted us to drink from, never created us to drink from, and we end up withering away. You guys are probably still in Psalms chapter 1, and you can see right there this man who's blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord. But there's another man here. The wicked are not so. They don't delight in the Lord or in his law. And it says they're not going to stand in the judgment. It says the wicked will perish. God, the one who knows more than any of us can imagine, what is best for our hearts is pleading with us. And he is stating a fact of the universe that he made. If you don't find satisfaction in me, you will wither away, you will perish. And we must take it with that severity. There isn't a middle ground option. And I think this is where um, it's most offensive. It ruffles our pride. It strips away the options that we so dearly love to have. We want, God is, presents two doors, delight in me, or perish, and we want to say, well, I'm an American. I'll make my own way. I, I can do this. You know, I'm, it's, it's a land of free opportunity, home of the brave. I can do this. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I can, I can make another door. Or you want to wait in the room. You want to sit there, and I don't need to pick a door yet. I know, I know, I know I need to take door one, but I just, you know, I can't quite get my head around that yet. Are, we, are you sure he's full satisfaction? Are you sure? And we sit there and we linger. God will not have that. Why? He loves us too much. He loves us too much to let us sit out in the wilderness when he has fullness of joy abounding and waiting for us. So why the commands? Why is God so straightforward and direct about this? One word, love. Love doesn't let you just sit there and waste away? Why is God interested in our heart worship and not just lip service? Again, because he loves us. God is jealous for our worship because his fierce love doesn't want us to drink from poisoned wells. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. This was spoken to a people, Israel. They walked away from the Lord God had given them, had abundantly shown them his love. He had shown them more than most peoples on the earth have ever seen. Signs and wonders. Amazing acts. <clears throat> and yet still, 
Israel. Once she was in her comfort, once she found God had given all the promises that she had been promised, she walked away from the Lord. And by the time we get to Jeremiah 2, verse 10, God has very strong words at this point for Israel. 2, verse 10 starts, For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care, see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory, that was God, for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no waters. These were the two great sins of Israel <clears throat> at that point. <clears throat> Excuse me. And God is, these, these people are really, though this was a sin of Israel, and God was not done with Israel at this point. That's another story for another time. He continues out of his love to pursue them <clears throat> as a father who loves his, his children. But we fall into a very similar trap. We forsake the fountain of living waters, and we hew out cisterns for ourselves, ones that can't even hold water, and the water that it holds is poison. God wants us more than anything to experience the fullness of him and experience it in a way that overflows in worship. So when he tells us, when he commands us, when he says, come, praise the Lord, praise God, worship his holy name, when he's commanding us to do that, he's expecting that that means the all-inclusive, come, experience the living water, be overflowed to the point that you're just spilling out with praise and worship, both in your words and in your life. I would encourage you guys today to take a fresh look <clears throat> at what sin actually is. Sin quite often has another connotation, but today I want you to look at it <clears throat> simply as having other gods before the Lord God and looking to other things to satisfy when only he can satisfy. It's saying that he isn't enough to satisfy you. That is what sin is. That is the core of all sin. When we do this, we basically say, I don't find you satisfying enough, so I'm going elsewhere. Not only does this break his heart, but it's the highest disrespect possible. And you can see why God can't tolerate sin. If he didn't address it, he'd be agreeing. He'd be saying, well, yeah, that's fine. Go for it. But how is that love? How does love let someone drink poison even when you know they're going to be dead in 15 minutes? God sent his son to pay the debt our sin incurred. And that's, that was out of his love. He died, rose again to pay that penalty we couldn't pay. But he also made a way through that new clean heart. When you receive Christ in your heart, he washes your heart clean and opens up a doorway so that what? Who can come in? The Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the fullness of God. The Spirit can come in. When you, when you in your prayer time, 
come before God and ask to be filled with his spirit, you're asked to be filled with the fullness of God. And that, that, friends, is a miracle of the gospel. There are so many things that wage war against our soul. But the war is not always, as we see it, of pass or fail kind of tests of, I need to be good, I need to be pleasing enough to earn God's favor. Excuse me. The war is for the affection of your soul. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That is, strongholds within your own soul. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when obedience is complete. This is talking about self-discipline. This is talking about the war within you. This is talking about waging war on the things that would take the place of God in your heart. And friends, I can't encourage you enough of how vital this is. You've got to treat it like a fight. You can't treat this, this whole thing of delighting the Lord as, someday I'll get there. It's not optional like that. It is this or perish. It's this or waste away. God will not. He is jealous for your worship because he loves you, because he doesn't want you to keep going to those empty cisterns. Each of you are going to have your own application point for this. I thought about sharing what mine is because I had some wells that I was running to. I'm not going to because it can be distracting. You guys need to do that. Whatever it is you're running to, whatever it is that you go to to find satisfaction, to check out, to take a break from life, you need to put God in place of that. And I'm going to encourage you this too. Don't leave them in the same room. Don't try, to, don't try to say, well, every night I go to such and such. And tonight, you know, that option's still there, but, you know, God, I also have the Bible here, so you need to make yourself as satisfying as this thing. God doesn't play those games. And I would really just warn you, don't play them either. You've got to remove the thing from your life. And it's going to feel like you're starving for a while, but you've got to do it. And after a while... God will begin to show himself more satisfying, more desirable, till that old thing that you ran to, that old well, is no longer satisfying. Fight like your life depends on it, because friends, from what I see in scriptures, it really does. God doesn't mess around with this stuff, and I don't think we should either. Psalm 73, you don't have to turn there. But in the middle of it, Asaph cries this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. When we were at um, this conference that we went to a, a couple months ago now, John Piper said, There are no words we can utter that bring God more glory than these. 
And I had to really think about that. That was a bold statement. There are no words, really. But the more I've thought about that, I'm inclined to agree. When we truly say this, there is nothing on earth I desire besides you, O Lord. That is the most glorifying thing and is the most filling thing for you to be at in that state. Paul talked about counting everything a loss aside from knowing Christ, his Savior. In Matthew chapter 13, you can turn there if you want. You don't have to. It's a one-verse parable Jesus taught. Talks about parable of the hidden treasure, Matthew 13, 44. He just said this, one-liner parable. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes out and sells all he has to buy that field. In his joy. He doesn't do it because he feels like he has to, that he feels obligated to go buy that field. In his joy, he sells everything he has. Why? The treasure's worth more. And this is how God must be viewed by us. He must be of more value to us than anything else. And that is where the beginning of a life of worship really comes from. This is what happens when we become Christians. This is at the core of Christianity. It's not just praise and worship. It is seeing God as more valuable than anything else in the universe. Crying with Asaph, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. This carries through even into suffering. In Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 10, I think I actually put these up. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, you had a group of believers in the early church that were being persecuted physically. And when some of them were in prison, they would have to go and help those in prison. If they did, it instantly marked them. They came out from hiding. As soon as you step out and say, I'm, I'm bringing food to that person, they go, oh, there's another one. So what would happen? Their homes would be burned, plundered, destroyed. The writer of Hebrews encourages them here, says in verse 34, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That is Christ. That is God himself. That was their abiding possession. And they look back their homes burning or being plundered and they rejoice. Can we say that? Do you lose everything? Maybe today your house doesn't get plundered by, by soldiers. Maybe you lose it through a lawsuit because you stood up for Christ and you went to court and lost everything. Would you do it joyfully? The plundering of everything you had? The only way you will be able to is if God is the most supreme treasure in your life. Where are the true worshipers? Turn back to John chapter 4 as we close here today, as we get at least closer to closing. We're going to close. John chapter 4, where we started with this woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, the funny thing about this story, it, Jesus is walking through. He comes to this well in Samaria. There's a woman there. Typically, Jews and Samaritans didn't talk, let alone men and women. There was this cultural and divide at that time. 
And yet Jesus just strikes up a conversation with her and they start talking. But Jesus directs it pretty quickly to what? Woman's sin. But again, think about sin as running to other sources for satisfaction. This woman, the wells that she was running to, happened to be marriage. She'd been through five marriages, all failed, was on with a sixth guy, living with him, not yet married. Maybe he got wise and decided it was probably going to end in failure. I, I don't know. But one way or another, the wells she was running to were broken cisterns as well. They couldn't hold water. And Jesus is pointing that out. But what's, what's interesting about this is I used to take it as Jesus changing the subject and talking about worship. But really, they're actually one and the same thing when we look at this. Jesus is talking about, as they sit at a well, he's talking about wells of living water. He offers himself as a living water. And when you, when you link these things, when you see that true worship of God is allowing him to pour the living water into your heart, then you see what Jesus is talking about. But he says down, when we get to verse chapter, or verse 22, at the end of that, or actually the end of verse 23, he says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him, worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. And I can't help but wonder, is God still seeking for those? I do think he is. He's still desiring people to worship in spirit and in truth. So the question is, will we? Will we let him come within? Fill us up and let it explode in true worship. So for closing, on a practical note, I know <clears throat> many of you are probably thinking, I just don't feel him that way. I don't see him that way. You're talking about being fully satisfied in God in this way that I just, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Does that make me unsaved? Does that make me perishing? Is it, what does it make me? If you're there, first, I would encourage you, as the scriptures do, confess that to God. Tell him. Have, have a chat with him. If it's in your heart, he already knows it. So you're not really hiding it from him. Talk to God about that. I've put other wells before you. I've put other sources of satisfaction before you. But then ask him to reveal himself and be willing to obey. He's going to start probably showing certain things. You've been running to this. You've been running to that. You've seen the effects on your life? I know you don't draw a connection between this point and that point, but you're struggling and you can't let go of this thing. It's going to be different for every one of you, but you need to come before God and have that. If you will commit to this and in patience to wait on the Lord, we are promised that we will be satisfied. Psalms 107, that he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalms 37.4, famous verse, delight yourself in the Lord, is when your delight is in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Wait, trust, be patient, and your soul will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, 
I thank you for your word being a sword that cuts to our hearts. I know it does and it has mine with this. Thank you for your long suffering, your patience with us too. Just, I don't know why we have such a tendency to want anything but you at times, but we do. And I thank you, God, that you desire worship because it is for our best. Move our hearts, stir our hearts, God. And even as we sing, Lord, I pray that you would just connect our hearts with you to be able to overflow with what you have even this morning been pouring into our hearts. Let's sing out of the fullness of joy that we find in you. We love you. Amen. Out of response to that, we're going to sing together as a family. Uh, This is a new song that Derek actually requested specifically in in regards to the message. It's called All I Have is Christ. Um, We're going to sing through the first verse twice. Uh, Why don't you guys stand up as we sing this together. so. So sing through the first verse twice, and then we'll move on to the second verse and do the rest. Once was lost in darkest night that thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if I had loved me. I would refuse you still. Sing that first verse. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cross. You looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. 
All I have is Christ. Alleluia. Jesus is my life. Alleluia. All I have is Christ. Alleluia. Jesus is my in my reading. 
morning family I guess it's technically no yeah it's still morning okay thank you Derek uh, for your message thank you Dan for the worship um, you know in light of the sermon we just heard we heard a lot of the Psalms and I just want to bring one more to you I'm going to read out of Psalm 33 really quick before we get started with praise and prayer sing for joy in the Lord O oh, you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in you. 
That's just a, a beautiful psalm of praise. And um, as we get into our uh, praise and prayer time, we've been, we've been talking about what it means to praise and what it means to worship. And I thought it would be neat today if, um, if we just stood up and praised God for something. And, and I'll start. I just want to praise God that he is, I can tell you guys, he is the only well that satisfies. He's the living water. And I just want to give God praise for that. I've experienced that in my life. I hope you have too. And uh, I just want to lift up God's name for that and say thank you, God. So we have a mic going around. If you guys want to wait for the mic or just stand up and just shout a praise to God, just do it. Amen? All right. group and I called for some help from our youth group. We got one youth member, Andrew and his folks showed up. We had five youth leaders show up and we had a few of us senior citizens there. So with a a group of 12, I was a little disappointed when that's all we started out with, but by the end of the day, we had done exactly what I had hoped that we'd get accomplished. So God knew what we needed, and he gave us all the strength to to get it done that day, and everything was done safely. Uh, It was just amazing. Out of disappointment, I grew to praise what God had done that day, just with a few people. I still have another day lined up that we need to do to split all this wood that we cut, so I'm hoping that that call will maybe touch some different hearts to come out and help, so uh, I'll, I'll let you know when that's going to be, but I praise God for what he did that day. Thanks, Ed. Uh, and Shirley is just more than blessed and tickled about what we did. Thank you, Ed. Anyone else? Stand up. Praise God today. Thank you. Amen. I just got back from two weeks in Vietnam and we were out in the bush and people living in, still living in thatch roof huts and uh, drinking water out of the streams. I praise God for clean, clear water and a warm or cool house, whichever it may be. But uh, we are blessed in this country and I praise God for it every day. Hi. Um, for uh, some people that might have forgotten, my name is Miracle. Um, we can never forget you, Miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have a lot of reasons to thank God, but I just want to oh, praise God. Um, I just want to say I just, I'm grateful for him taking me to and safely back from Guinea. Um, it was challenging, but I'm back. Thank you. And then... 
Also, I want to thank you guys personally for everything. Um, prayers, help in every way, both to my family and to myself in Guinea. I would not have been able to complete that service um, without you guys' help. So really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for everything. Um, I'm back for now. So uh, <laughs> if you guys have any um, questions or just you know anything, yeah, thank you so much. Amen. Praise God. In the back, Churchill. I wanted to praise God. Uh, our flock group, uh, Merlin, is leading us in uh, the book of Hebrews. And I was doing the questions and trying to figure out the answers. And, uh, you know, you go through all of them. And then there's that practical application. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness. I, I haven't told the gospel to anyone recently. I need to spread the word, you know, because our salvation is, is what we all need. And uh, as I was growing up, I, I used to babysit for children. And one time, uh, there was a 10-year-old girl that was a wealthy little girl that she and I were watching Billy Graham on TV. And at the end, I said, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart, too? And she said, yes. And so I was kind of a little instrument there. But Billy did the big job there. And then in nursing, I spoke to four or five of my patients, came to the Lord. Um, so I, I know he's helped me do that, and my family, too. And but nothing recently. So I, I've had a, a friend of mine, Sherry's been on my heart to witness to her for quite some time. And we're just really close friends. Um, and so I had to talk to her about something with our club. And I talked to her and I said, you know what, Sherry, last night, Jerry and I went to the Harvest of Hope banquet and it was just wonderful. And Daryl Strawberry spoke and he told us how he was really on drugs and just in the pits and it was just um, terrible for him. He lost a kidney. And he, um, he, you know, he, his wife had been encouraging him to go, go to church, and he had done it a little bit, but hadn't really had a hard experience. But anyway, then he talked on and on, and he was telling how uh, it's not in fame or fortune at all. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I told her that I just, it just came out. I was so grateful to God that he gave me the words. So just pray for Sherry that if I planted any seed that she'll ask me more about it. Thank you, Carol. Well, we know that we're all part of the body and we're all part of that uh, the tr tree with the branches. And when part of it becomes weak, uh, we need to um, step up and, and uh, help and strengthen our our other body members, and that happened uh, a second time this week with uh, the hearts. They had some needs in their home, around their home, and uh, we had a, a small group of, we only needed a small group, and, but they stepped forward from the shepherds group again, our breakfast shepherds men's group, to, to help. Uh, Merlin and Uchi uh, stepped up uh, Friday morning, and we fixed and repaired and got them whole again so that they can they can uh, enjoy their love of the Lord and their service to the Lord. Well, I, my name is Uche, 
And uh, I'd like to praise the Lord for all of you, for all your prayers and your support. We are blessed to belong to this body. And we, we are also grateful this week that we also experienced uh, God's blessings from some ladies here. Sarah told me that Erin was coming to help her. And then I came back and I saw a huge um, watermelon in, uh, in the living room. I said, where did that come from? She said, Trista br brought it. I'm like, Trista came? She said, yeah, Erin and Trista came and Gabby. And uh, she started mentioning all these girls that came out and helped her weed and clean the, lawn, the, the yard. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. We are, we are really blessed to be a part of this church. And my neighbor's uh, grandson and, her, and his family were visiting. And when I came back, they started asking me, what kind of church do you go to? So all these people, a lot of activities going on. Your church came out and helped you? I said, yep. They were like, well, when we go back to Oregon, we're going to try it. <laughs> I said, oh, why not? So I praise God for that. I also thank God that uh, we're finally leaving. This is our last week uh, here, and uh, we know that we're going. And praises are going to be coming out of it, even this week. Uh, we know that we're going to be praising God because we will receive our uh, visas this week. It's not out yet. We are believing God that the Nigerian embassy in New York will release it and, and they will get to us before we leave. And maybe our passports will be here too. We don't know. But <laughs> we have all these praises, praises that will be given to the Lord. And we know that when we get to Nigeria, we are also expecting uh, miracles that God will be doing there because we know that you guys are praying for us. Thank you. Amen. Scott, stand up. Something tells me you don't need a microphone. to thank God for miracle of salvation in each and every one of us. I want to thank God for a wonderful fellowship like Oak Grove and for teachers. I, lo I love learning under teachers, you know. Bible said in um, Isaiah 30, 20, he says, though I punish you with bread of adversity and with water of affliction, Yet, I will not take away your teachers. Teachers are very, very important in the house of the Lord. And we have so many of them in this church teaching, compounding scripture with scripture. There are so many places where you will go, you will not get 
the grounded word of God, which we see here. So I'm so pleased about that. And I want to praise God for love and caring in this fellowship. I want to thank God who answers prayer that my son is here in our midst. You know, uh, some of you who have not gone to African country may not understand what it means. The only thing I would liken it with is what Bible said in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 4, 13 to 16. It says, when Jesus, he said, live in Nazareth, he came and dwell in Capernaum by the uh, way of the sea, that it might fulfill that which was written by Isaiah the prophet. He said, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen great light. And upon those who dwell in the, in the valley and shadow of death, he says, light has done. So I thank God who delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the glorious and marvelous light in Jesus Christ. So it's always gladdening. My heart is always gladdening. You know, when I'm happy, I read Bible. When I'm sad, I read Bible. Anything I do, Bible is, my, my, is everything to me. So I love reading the Bible. And I love people around here that loves Bible. So I'm so happy to be in your midst. And above all, thank you for what you have done. This church is touching lives all over the world. Thank you, and God bless you. And we are here to serve the Lord together. Praise the Lord. I think we just heard another sermon. <laughs> I just also, I forgot to say, um, Pat Vaughn, I want to say specifically thank you so much for, you know, just, there were some days that were not the best, but reading your emails just, it helped a lot. Thank you very much. Amen. Yeah, if... Most of you, if you were in our house or around our house around 11 p.m. when my lady drove in from work on Thursday, and because we never knew that Miracle was already at home. So the moment she came into the house and then walked into the bedroom, tried to, you know, put down her bag, and the Miracle just walked right at the back, and she just looked back and saw somebody standing like this. She shouts, scream. In the midst, middle of the night, I said, oh, please turn it down. It's night. He <laughs> said, yes, I got my boy back again. And so from the depth of our hearts, honestly, what this boy went through, it was quite a miracle indeed. We just saw his body, a lot of bruises for accident. Back into work, they knocked him down. He got up, going to the village where he was teaching. Never spoken French in his life for the first time. He got to Guinea and started using French to teach the villagers there. So we are very, 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 very grateful to God. And just from, from our lungs, we feel like shouting hallelujah to him for this victory. And for all of us here, your prayers, your financial support, making it possible for him just to go for two years and back again. Again, we want to say thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I love you guys because it takes you forever to get into church because you want to talk. And then once you're in church and we say, let's praise God, you, 
you do it for about almost a half an hour. So <laughs> I, I think the nursery people are going to skin me alive. So we better, we better close in prayer before <laughs> I get in too much trouble. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just we thank you so much for uh, this body of believers, God. And we, we mean that from the bottom of our heart, God. This is your house, and, and your love is, is here, and, and we feel that. And we thank you for that, God. And just what a special group of people this is, Lord. And it, it's not because of anything that we are, Lord, but it's because of everything that you are, God. We, we just confess, we just sang, Lord, you are worthy in spite of our unworthiness, and we just, we just confess that to you, Father. God, we pray that you would um, just let the, the truth that we heard today, Lord, sink deep into our hearts and let us shine it uh, out to those who are living in darkness, Father. Um, go before us this week in everything that we do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we say you're dismissed. I don't feel that's quite right. You're, you're sent. So go in peace this week.